Good morning, everyone. Uh, love you all very much. I'm so encouraged by everyone singing and just the passion and uh, song leading, the prayers, the Lord's Supper talk, Paul, and everything has just been so encouraging this morning. Uh, ultimately, not because of who we are apart from God, but just the way that God is at work in the group here is so encouraging. Um, for this lesson, we're going to be dealing with Paul's prayers and the letters written to the churches. Um, try to think a lot about what would be a very helpful lesson to end the year on. Um, in some ways, it's a Sunday like any other. Uh, but in other ways, uh, this is the last sermon I'll teach here this year. Um, I did keep in mind that there is a particular holiday tomorrow. Uh, and if I thought it was most helpful for the group here, I would have done a lesson on Jesus' birth and the importance of that. But um, that's not what I think is really most most needed right now. And this is this is something that through thinking about it, I think would just be extremely encouraging and helpful for us all to think about. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how I would really, how I really need to be seeking to rekindle my prayer life. I want to have a healthier prayer life. And I think it's, it's fair to say that the quality of our prayer life determines the quality of our relationship with God and also with each other, I think is what we're going to see in this lesson. Um, prayer is so important and there's just so room, so much room for growth in prayer. Uh, communication is hard. Talking to people is hard. And I think it's no different talking to God. Uh, God is very different from us. And so learning how to talk deeply, accurately, uh, as healthy as possible with God uh, can be challenging. I think we need, we need help. We need study. Uh, we need to see examples in scripture. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And I, I just, I think about that often, you know, that I need help learning how to pray. And I want to say again that the condition of our prayer life, I, I think this is so fair to say, the quality of our prayer life determines the quality of our relationship with God and with each other. You see someone who you see and you say, that person clearly has a deep and healthy relationship with God. I guarantee you that stems from their prayer life. Uh, Jesus' ministry is saturated with prayer. Paul's ministry saturated with prayer. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote so many of the books of Psalms and encouraged prayer and leads us in prayer. Uh, prayer is at the core of our relationship with God. And with how difficult communication can be, something that I found helpful, and this has stuck with me with biblical examples, but it's it's an illustration. Uh, how can you learn to communicate with someone? When you don't know them, you don't really know what they're interested in, you don't really know how to talk to them. Something that I found very helpful is watch how other people who know them talk to them. <laughs> and kind of listen to what they focus on, uh, think about, you know, what they're obviously interested and that can be very, very helpful. And so when we see Paul the Apostle, how he prays, that's extremely helpful because Paul is a model for us. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think Paul's prayer life is meant to be imitated. Uh, Paul is obviously someone that God wants us to look at as an example and his prayer life is an example uh, for us. Another thing, too, is is with everything I've said, I think prayer is one of the most important tools in our relationship with God. And not to be redundant, but in terms of introduction, I want to give one more illustration. 
of how helpful it is to see someone use a tool better than you and kind of help you understand, okay, this this can be used in a way that I didn't realize. So uh, a couple of years ago, I um, replaced some flooring at Antoinette's old house with John, and there's a tool he was using to put in the flooring, and I had no idea how to use it. And John didn't just tell me how to use it, he showed me how to use it. And by showing me how to use it, I understood how to use it and could use it on my own. So with prayer being a tool like that, again, as we look at Paul's examples, you know, we think about prayer as a tool that we may not understand how to fully utilize that tool or how we can talk to God in a way that fully utilizes the, the utility that prayer is. Again, his example helps point to the value of what we can be doing to, to best grow, be most fruitful, have the most maturity in our relationship with God, and, and the best possible relationship with God and with each other. Uh, so we're just going to keep this lesson really simple. Um, really what we're going to do is, is just look at examples of Paul's prayers and just think about what he prayed for and how we can maybe think more practically about it. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to go book by book as we see prayers. We're not going to cover every prayer. Uh, I myself counted 16 prayers. We're just going to cut that in half and do eight today, and maybe we'll do the other eight. No, no, we're doing seven today. We'll do the other nine uh, some other time, maybe. But Romans Romans 1, 8 through 12, uh, and I'm going to read this, and then we'll, again, think some uh, think practically about it and try to get some lessons out of this. So Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how without ceasing I make mention of you, always in my prayers, earnestly asking if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be strengthened, that is, to be mutually encouraged while among you by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So what is he praying for? Well, in verse uh, 8, we're going to notice that to every group of Christians, Paul mentions that he's thanking God for them. Um, he doesn't quite say this explicitly here, but it's implied in verse 10 when he says he's always praying earnestly. Uh, Paul will mention that he's always thanking God for Christians. And so I just want to deposit that and have you take note of that as we go through these. But why would that be helpful? To be thanking God continuously for the brethren. You know, how would that help Paul's attitude toward Christians? And mind you, he had not met the Romans before. So this was a group of Christians that Paul had actually not had face-to-face interaction with yet. So I would say that because of the consistency we'll see, that learning how to have a greater spoken thankfulness in our prayers, thanking God for our brethren, uh, may be one of the most important disciplines that we're going to see Paul had for the churches. But he also is seeking mutual encouragement. Something else we're going to see is that prayer should lead the way in our decisions, our behaviors, and in our relationships. And it's like we're praying for things that are leading us in a direction. Well, you notice in uh, verse, uh, looking at the wrong side of my page, verse 11, Paul longs to see them. You know, prayer was Paul's way of seeking uh, edifying face-to-face interaction. Paul is not content to just write letters or to have other people communicate with them, Paul wanted fruitful face-to-face interactions with the Roman Christians, and he wanted mutual encouragement in these interactions. 
So how can we practically think about this? What if we prayed like this for each other? That we anticipate the fact that we're seeking to interact with each other and we're looking for opportunities to interact with each other, but that we're seeking God's help that those interactions be as mutually encouraging as possible. So, again, you may not struggle with this as much as I do, but I really think communication is very difficult. Having fruitful, especially spiritual conversations can be really challenging to initiate. Figuring out how to insert biblical conversations can be super, super hard. Um, and I don't think encouragement comes exclusively from talking about the Bible. Don't, don't get me wrong about that. But I do think that's obviously an encouraging way to, to talk and communicate with each other, to edify each other. Um, so what I mean is, I think we just need God's help. And I want you to imagine how much more fruitful our interactions can be if we anticipate, hey, on Sunday, I'm going to be able to have a conversation with you, you know, with Brandon or Paul Kelsey, Jason, whatever. And what if in anticipating that I prayed, God, help me to have the wisdom to have a really encouraging conversation with this brother or with this sister. You know, God, help me to prioritize communicating with them even through the week, the text message or whatever, and just God, help me to be just more encouraging and just help there to be more opportunity for that. Imagine if you prayed about that just through your week with other people you're interacting with. You know, marriage. You know, God, help me to have just more fruitful interactions with my wife. If you're a wife, praying for that with your husband, you know, with your kids. Your coworkers, you know, obviously you see the same people at work. So imagine you start your day, God, help me to have just better conversations with these people that I'm seeing every week. You know, I want you to think, would you be scared to pray things like that? Would that be intimidating to actually pray that God kind of pull you out of your comfort zone? Or is that something we should, we should long for? We should discipline ourselves to long for. And, you know, again, Paul, he, he's a model. So I want to argue we need to learn to think this way about each other, that we, we long to be together. We long for mutually encouraging interactions, and that does require some wisdom, some foresight, some prayer, and seeking God's guidance and help. And I want to say this before we go on. Does Paul pray for frivolous things? You know, where he's praying for things that just, it doesn't really matter. It's not like God's going to do much about that. It's just, it's just, you know, maybe some encouraging words. I don't think that at all. I think Paul prays for things that he knows God will answer. And that if he prays for encouraging interactions, you know, whatever is happening under the hood, I don't know. But I think Paul prays for this because he has confidence God is going to act on this. And God is going to help there to be more encouraging interactions because of his prayers. 1 Corinthians 1, let's turn there. Verses 4 through 9. Uh, so the Corinthian church, when this letter was written, was in a state of absolute disaster, uh, which I think makes this prayer, in a lot of ways, more amazing. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And again, we're just going to be thinking, what is, what is Paul praying for here? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in him, in all word and all knowledge, even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you are called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the first thing, again, Paul emphasizes he's always thanking God for them. 
And I realize these letters were written at separate times in Paul's life. Sometimes these letters are written closer together, sometimes farther apart. But even keeping that in mind, I do want you to start adding this together and imagine that Paul has all of these different groups of Christians, that he is prioritizing thanking God always for them. So add the Corinthians into this. That Paul is always thanking God for the Corinthians, even though this is a frustrating group. I mean, this whole letter deals with one major problem after another. You know, not only is there active sin being tolerated in this group, they're taking each other to court, they're divided, there's arrogance, there's bad attitudes, there's marital problems, there's doctrinal problems, they're not even properly taking the Lord's Supper anymore, they're competing with each other in their assemblies. Just madness. (laughs) And so you imagine this could be like the Galatian letter, where it just gets right into some fire and brimstone stuff, but no, no. First thing he says is he is always thanking God concerning them. Now, what is he thankful for? He's not thankful for their current condition, obviously. You know, there's a lot that needs to change. But he's thankful for the grace of God which was given them. What that tells me is there is always a reason why we can be thankful for each other. (laughs) Even if in my mind there's a lot that's got to be fixed or some difficult things that are going on, Fundamentally, has a Christian received a full measure of God's grace? Yes, they have. Is that something that I can be unceasingly thankful for? Absolutely, especially as we work together and interact together. It's just there's so much to be thankful for. You know, and I think this the scripture is brought in our perspective, not just about how we can be generally personally thankful, but how we can grow in being thankful for each other. So the Corinthians were a total mess, and yet. Paul was always thanking God for the grace that was given them. And they had received, again, a full measure of grace, meaning they are completely equipped. You know, he mentions uh, over in verse, let's see, verse 5, they were completely enriched in everything. You know, they're not lacking in any gift in verse 7. So they're not lacking anything. And the problem is they are they are acting as a church as if they are. And so Paul works in the first four chapters with their perspective of realizing They've been given everything they need. They just need help utilizing the resources they've been given. And with the Corinthians, that's going to take patience. That's going to take time. It's going to take some hard work. But I think this equips Paul to work patiently with this group and to give them a perspective where they realize that they are equipped also to work patiently with each other. I think it also means that uh, Paul's ready to remind them of the most important things. I think we we become most at odds with each other when we lose perspective. You know, we bite and devour one another, like Galatians 5 says, when we've lost perspective of what's most important, of what Christ has done for us and the grace that he's given us, which in Galatians, again, Paul heavily reminds them of the nature of grace they've been given and what that should mean. So because Paul is is meditating on this in prayer so often, it's presently on his mind, he's ready to remind them of this. You know, I think when we pray for the most important things for each other, then we're ready to remind each other of those things. We're mindful of what is at the core of our relationships, and then our prayers will lead the way in how we interact with each other because we're not forgetting the things that are at the core of our relationships. Perspective is critical. And again, Paul approaches the problems at Corinth with this perspective in mind, which further equips him to work with the Christians. 
Turn to 2 Corinthians 13, so kind of on the opposite side of the Corinthian letters. This is the very, very end of uh, 2 Corinthians. And it's a, it's a really simple uh, prayer, but I think there's some helpful things to consider. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, 7 through 9. So here Paul says, Now we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be restored. Your translation may say that you be made complete. So what is Paul praying for? I think the first thing is really, really simple. Uh, And so basic, it it almost sounds silly. He's praying that they do no wrong. (laughs) but that they do the right thing. Now, mind you, in chapter 12 at the end, if you just look back a little bit, chapter 12, verse 20, Paul's afraid that when he comes that there are persisting problems in the group that have not been addressed, that there's sin, that they're hiding, that they're not communicating. So he's aware that even though he's continuing to work with them, he hasn't seen them in a while, and you know the reality is maybe there's problems going on, that still need to be dealt with, and he deals with a major problem in 2 Corinthians as well. What's the point? How can this be helpful for us? I would word this that Paul is fighting for the Corinthians. He's fighting for their will. I think when we know brethren are struggling with decisions, with temptations, with sin, we need to fight for our brethren. You know, Paul knows that the Corinthians are going through a struggle. They've got decisions that they've got to make both as a church and individually within that church, as he said at the end of chapter 12, where he's afraid that there's certain individuals in the group that really aren't working through things the way that they should. Um, The reality is we all struggle with temptation. And Satan is busy every day trying to find some way in to plant some seed of something to get us moving in a direction away from the truth. And I think this is just a great model. You know, that we just are mindful that we need to pray for each other, that we not make decisions that are against God, even in the silent, quiet places of our hearts, and that we pray that we make good decisions that glorify God. And again, is Paul praying redundantly? You know, is he praying that they do no wrong, but, you know, God's not going to really do anything about that or help them? I mean, it's up to them. It's their will. You know, we have free will, but is Paul praying this because God will work with that, that God will help the Corinthians be more innocent? that he will help the Corinthians make better decisions. I think that's exactly why Paul is praying this prayer. We need to fight for each other in our prayers. And I think we're, we're invested in each other, not just because of when we see each other, but because of a confidence that even when I don't see you, I'm still fighting for you. And I still care about the decisions you're making. And I realize that there's a lot of work that goes into our relationship with God. And Satan is trying to undermine that work and destroy that work. And our prayers matter. So Paul is praying simply that they don't do wrong, but they do what is right. And how does this lead the way? Paul will say in in the second Corinthian letter that he's had to become a fool to appeal to them and to work with them at this point. You know, but he says here he's not concerned about his image. He's not praying that they do do no wrong in verse 7 so that he can appear to be right. He's not trying to protect his reputation. You know, Paul's worked with the Corinthians a lot. So if they go off the deep end, it's like, well, I guess Paul's not a very good teacher, not a very effective apostle. 
you know, the Corinthians went off the deep end and Paul was working with them. So, you know, he's just not a very good teacher. You know, but Paul was willing to make a fool of himself. And I know this can be hard to correlate, but I think there's times where we may have to look foolish to reach out to each other, to help each other, where we may have to risk looking a certain way uh, to try to really help each other and, and, and take risks in having conversations. And again, these kind of prayers lead the way where I'm more willing to appeal and work with things where I might look bad along the way to you and I may risk losing some kind of respect you may have for me because of my willingness to say what's difficult. But again, I think this was leading the way for Paul. And that they be made complete, be fully restored. And I think the idea is God's given us everything we need to be fully united with him, to do his will entirely. You know, he's given us everything we need to solve every spiritual problem that we're confronted with. And Paul is praying that they be made complete. You know, that every issue be resolved. That every problem be fixed. That every sin be repented of and that be resolved as well. And he's praying for this. You know, we can be complete. You know, we don't need to have lingering issues. We don't have to have lingering sins or lingering attitude problems. We can work through anything. You know, and I think when, especially when we notice problems or things that we see need to be fixed, we just need to be more diligent to pray that we be made complete as a group and be fully restored. All right. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So Galatians, actually, to my reading, um, doesn't have any clear prayers for the group. Um, if you find that, I'd be interested in seeing that if you're aware of that. But the next prayer I'm aware of is Ephesians 1, 15 through 19, uh, as we read in the scripture reading. Uh, so again, we're going to read this and talk about what he's praying for and what we can learn from that. Ephesians 1, 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, so that you, the eyes of your heart be, be, having been enlightened, will know what what is the the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of the might of his strength. So what is he praying for the Ephesians? So add them to the list of groups that Paul is praying for. And notice in verse 15, uh, or verse 16 rather, how often is he thanking God for the Ephesians? He's not ceasing to do it. And I think that implies he's making a very constant habit of this. So imagine how much are brethren on Paul's mind? <laughs> you know, how much is Paul thinking about the brethren and, and thinking about brethren in such a high way? You know, that different conditions or different churches who are in different spiritual conditions, Paul is still praying for the Corinthians, the Romans that he's not met, the Ephesians that he's had time to work with. He's unceasingly thanking God for them and for detailed spiritual reasons, knowing the group. So he's thankful for their faith. He's thankful for their love for all the saints. And this compels him to continue to pray for them. Uh, and so I've summarized some of these points in verse 17. You know, he's praying something that's kind of difficult to define. And I want you to think about this. <laughs> Some of the stuff in the Ephesian letter is harder to define in terms of his prayers. With little kids, do you ever have little kids, like toddlers, 
do or say things that they don't fully understand, but you understand why that's important, and your hope is as they continue to say that over time, they'll get it more, understand the value of whatever it is they're doing or saying that maybe at some point they're doing it because you know it's valuable, so you're trying to get them to understand its value. I think that's like this in Ephesians. You know, Paul the Apostle, again, is not praying this frivolously. He's not praying these things because he's just trying to sound so enlightened and spiritual, you know, and he's just got these beautiful words to impress us. I don't think that's the case. I think everything Paul prays has a sincere, practical value. So, (laughs) all that said, he is praying that God, the Father of glory, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I think that's something that God is going to work with and is leading the way to things that he writes about and has written about already in chapter 1. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom whom you have sent. How we view God, what we think about God, it's the most important part of our lives. And how we view God, how we think about God, will determine our devotion to God. And it will determine the priority we place on kingdom values and God's instruction, especially when it requires sacrifice. So Paul first is praying that God grant them a greater knowledge and a greater wisdom of hearing and reading about these things, but that it be it be utilized in their lives, that it have an impact on their daily living. And in this, that the eyes of their heart be enlightened. Again, not just flowery poetry language, but there's some practical value to this, that this is an internal thing that has to happen, that they've got to really soak this in, take it personally, and then they can more clearly see the reality of who God is and to know the multifaceted glory of what we have access to in Christ. And so we've been given access to this calling that has hope. No matter how how hard it is that we think it is to obey God, there's greater hope involved in submitting to him. No matter how much sacrifice is involved in reorienting myself to do what God actually tells me I need to be doing, there's hope in that. You know, and he tells me that there's an inheritance God has in his in His people. God is fully invested and has given us power according to the might that we've seen in Christ when he was risen from the dead. Listen, when I have convictions, how I act on godly convictions determines whether or not I understand these things that Paul is praying for. You know, when I limit my spiritual growth, it's because I don't understand these things that Paul's praying for. You know, when I hear instruction, again, that requires sacrifice, but it intimidates me. It makes me nervous. You know, I, I, I don't really want to do it. You know, I think more about my inadequacy and, you know, that's just not something I feel like I can do or want to bother learning to do. It's because I don't understand these things right here. If I understand the multifaceted glory of what I have access to in Christ, my mission will be to read God's word and obey whatever it is he tells me to do. And I will crave it. I will want it. And when I'm convicted because something in a sermon, class, personal reading, whatever, when I'm convicted by something, I'm going to want to hold on to that conviction. And God, please help me grow and change because this perspective leads to a transforming devotion to the Lord 
What Paul is doing is setting up a perspective that will equip the Ephesians to apply the practical instructions that come later. All right. One last thing on, on this prayer here. I think there's, there's a pull that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something to be very aware of. It can become bad. I think there's a constant pull that our, our relationships and our conversation become merely social. And it's okay for us to have social conversations, right? There's, there's just a, a balance to this. But I think there's a pull that everything about what we talk about outside of the formal context of worship or study, just always social. And that's not a bad thing. What I mean is just worldly things, worldly interests, not a bad thing. But if we're really praying for these things, this is what distinguishes our relationships from worldly relationships. And this is what distinguishes our relationships from being just normal things in everyday life. This is an incredible, an incredible truth kind of behind the scenes in, in who we are. And so the goal is we want to cultivate these things. And when Paul was writing to them, his writing was to cultivate these things. And so our relationships, we are uniquely equipped to cultivate these things in our relationship where we want to help each other to know these things. We want to help each other better know God, better have wisdom to navigate a relationship with God. And that involves better knowing these things. Um, before we move on, something that I said, or something that I don't know if I said clearly enough, but I want to reinforce here, adapt these prayers. Part of the reason we're going through this is not to see, okay, this is what Paul prayed for. These are just a part of the letters. It's like, okay, yeah, Paul's praying for the churches, writing things, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to encourage you that these are prayers to imitate, to adapt the language. And just like what I mentioned about children, even if I say these things, maybe not fully grasping, okay, what is God going to do with this? Paul prayed these things because, again, there's practical, important, spiritual value uh, in Paul's maturity as an example, leaving these things as an example to imitate. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, so we just have a few more. What is he praying for? So Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would give you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So these Ephesians prayers are um, a bit more uh, girthy. They, they have a lot more going on. So more on the board with these, these prayers. First thing is to be internally empowered through the Spirit. You know, and again, I know I keep reiterating this. You know, I don't think Paul's just using pretty spiritual language. There's some practical value to this. You know, that he's seeking that in verse 15, or 16 rather, that these Christians be strengthened with power through his spirit. This is something that he's praying for. This is an internal thing where God is doing the heavy lifting. And similarly in verse 17, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. You know, there's a lot going on that God is having to do here. You know, that there's there's a power, there, there's a work and an investment that God is doing here. 
I want to illustrate the importance of this with something that I've brought up in a lesson before, but it's been a while. This may not sound familiar to everybody. But when I was in Minnesota, um, there was a church there that did a gospel meeting on ways that God had helped them work through adversity. So different members of a church, you know, gave lessons on ways God helped them through specific adversities. One man did a lesson on how God had helped him through a lot of adversity with his severely disabled son. Uh, and these, this couple doesn't live in Minnesota anymore because they have to move around to meet their child's needs. So he mentioned that as a parent, he has to work difficult jobs to get the resources needed to help his child's medical needs and educational needs. Uh, it's emotionally exhausting. It takes up tons of their time. Uh, it's, it's, it's grueling in terms of the sleeplessness, the, the thoughtfulness that has to go into it all. His, his wife also had to work and, and they just have to do all these things to help their child not only live, but to be able to communicate and make progress in his education. A lot of, a lot of specialized, very specific things, expensive things were needed to make these things happen. And what he mentioned in that lesson has stuck with me ever since. He said that whenever him and his wife would see even the, the slightest bit of progress, things that other people would never notice, but him and his wife would notice because of how invested they were. He said that even the slightest sign of progress to them made it all worth it. And their son has no, no comprehension to appreciate how much work they're having to do, how much joy it brings them. You know, and it sounds like their son had some degree of comprehension and capability to communicate in some way and learn. But the idea is seeing things from God's perspective. When we think about being empowered, you know, that's not some, you know, like Pentecostal, just emotional thing. I think it's the idea that God is hard at work here, that God is doing some heavy lifting, that he's really invested here. And God is doing so much behind the scenes that to us, you know, we may see some tiny sign of progress in faith. And to us, it's like, oh, that's encouraging that you grew in some way. But think about it. How much has it cost God to make that happen behind the scenes? You know, so not only is Paul aware of that, he's praying about that. And obviously to know the love of Christ, the length, width, height, breadth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled up to all the fullness of God. You know, again, is, is Paul wasting space? Not just saying, I pray that you grow in the love of Christ. Keep it at that. You know, wouldn't that cover it? There's something about praying that they grow into all the fullest, expansive measurements of the love of Christ. It can be taken so far. You know, Jesus sets the bar so high. And I think we have to be careful to remember, Jesus is our standard for how we love and serve one another. Our relationships should constantly cause us to reflect on Jesus. Our relationships should constantly cause us to better appreciate what we're remembering in the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Our relationships are the greatest window into the depths of Christ's love. Our relationships should constantly bring us to more deeply reflect on the love of Christ, which then equips us to more fully imitate that love. And this is not something done in isolation. You know, Jesus interacted with people where it cost him his time, his energy, his patience. Jesus dealt with everything we're going to deal with in our relationships together. He understood things differently than his disciples. He had different convictions than his disciples. And yet somehow, he loved them to the end. You know, so again, when we think about Jesus, it fills us up to the fullness of God. 
He is our example. He is our comfort. He is our motivation. When we have him as our ultimate mission, it puts our relationships in their greatest context because we cannot be filled up to the fullness of God or know his love without the saints being involved in this mission. Uh, we'll, we'll stop there this morning. I had a couple more, but for the sake of, of time uh, this morning, I think it would be good to, to stop there. I want to encourage you. Think about these prayers. Think about the mission behind these prayers. That Paul is someone who could, you know, be in comfortable circumstances and not be um, overtaken by the ease of comfort, but still work sacrificially. He could be in difficult circumstances and say he was afflicted in every way and still be mission-minded and focused on the brethren. You know, so these prayers are not just about some ambiguous sense of growth. You know, I think in our circumstances as a local church, you know, if we really adapt these prayers, it will very practically change our perspective and motivate us and strengthen us in ways that each of us need in order to have proper contentment and zeal and a lingering sense of grounded joy in each other as well. If you'll pray with me, we'll pray about these things and then we'll have our closing song, our invitation song after that.